baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Sunday Take for April 16th, 2023. I'm your host, Blois Olson. This week, a dust-up between a house PR person and a reporter revealed the changing dynamic of relationships. And I want to focus on the relationships between the press, public officials, and politics. This week, we talked to Brian McClung, a longtime Capitol Observer and former Flack, and that's an endearing term, and Rochelle Olson, a veteran Capitol reporter, about how these relationships have changed, what they think of the way public officials and media interact these days, and what it means to democracy. And that'll be our take. The threat to democracy because of the media relationship with elected officials. Next up, Brian McClung. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. My first guest this week on Sunday Take is Brian McClung. He's a longtime Capital Media handler, associate, PR guy. He served as uh, the main spokesperson for Governor Tim Pawlenty, but he also worked in legislative politics before that. And uh, if you don't know him, uh, he and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, Similar paths, but different uh, uh, ways to handle things. And I thought he could provide kind of the flack, and I mean that in an endearing way, uh, perspective on the dust up between Peter Callahan and Matt Raskowski, and not just the handling of it, but at a higher level, how the relationship, the tense exchanges have been handled in the past, rather than this example, which seems to be an outlier of all things. Brian, thanks for joining me. Yeah, you bet, Blois. Glad to be here. So what's your initial take on, you know, the way in which this went down? You know, you know, Peter Callahan, you know, the role of a, you know, public affairs director for a caucus. There's a natural tension there, but this one seemed to escalate to a different level than maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah, there's definitely a give and take, right? And that's the, the line that you walk when you are the press secretary or director of communications for the governor or the legislature you are serving your boss or bosses, but you are also serving the media. And I think that's an important role and division that you have to think about that when you're in that position is that you're serving both sides. And of course, at the end of the day, your you know commitment, your job is for your boss, but you do have to think about how you're serving that broader public interest working with the media. And I think that has gotten a little lost um, over the last decade or so. Um, of course, we always talk about how we're in this kind of hyper-partisan, polarized uh, environment. So that's part of it. 
And I think social media is part of that now, too. You know, back when I was the spokesman for Governor Pawlenty, you know, Twitter just started at the very end of our second term. And so we didn't really have to have these personas or have this attitude in social media and, you know, publicly in a way that I think the spokespeople and communicators for politicians now feel a lot of pressure to always be an offense and always be, you know, aggressive in that way. And I think that has bled over into these, you know, interpersonal actions like we saw, you know, in this case and what happened at the Capitol this past week. Ryan, I think you touched on a couple of things that I've had conversations with many people over the last couple of days about, which is the advent of social media and how it plays um, and the persona and the hyperpartisanship, right? Like you had to defend Governor Pawlenty in a partisan way at times, but it wasn't as hyperpartisan. And that, by the way, is not to say that those weren't partisan times. It was just not... Uh, as escalated and amplified and sensitive. And, and, and the, I just feel like the mood of people were different. I mean, I, I, I can recall, first and foremost, I remember it was the RNC convention that St. Paul hosted is when I joined Twitter because mm-hmm. there was news happening on Twitter and, and that's where I could find it. But I remember when Governor Pawlenty was running for president and I would say to you, he's still the governor of Minnesota, Brian. I'd like to know his national schedule. And you'd be like, well, we're not putting out his national schedule. <laughs> and I'd be like, that's kind of BS. But but you and I never like swore at each other. We never stopped talking to each other. We didn't make it personal. Um, those were like the last days of politics in Minnesota, my involvement and MinPost. And, and so it's not like I had that different of a role. It was just a different dynamic. And that's what I'm trying to understand and and would love for you to say is like when you had tension with the reporter or when you disagreed or you didn't like what they wrote, how did you handle it? And is there ever a case where you just stopped talking or took somebody off a media list? Uh, No. Short answer is no. We never stopped talking or took somebody off a media list. You know, I certainly had my share of disagreements and battles with uh, the Capitol Press Corps. And in fact, I think it's safe to say that, you know, from the governor's office perspective, you know, I was probably the most aggressive, you know, spokesman for the governor in the last 20 years. Um, and probably going back to when Cindy Bricado was Arnie Carlson's <laughs> press secretary yeah. and her nickname was the Barracuda. Right. And so, I mean, I was in a lot of tussles with reporters. Um, I remember I, I broke the phone in my office one time after a heated conversation with a political editor. I was mad and I slammed my phone down and broke it. This is back before cell phones, of course. So this is just a real phone. You know, state there property. was yeah, it's a state property that I busted. Um, you know, I will tell you one war story that is uh, that's kind of funny or hopefully people find it funny now. But Mary LaHammer had done a story that I really didn't like. And so it was posted on the TPT website. I printed it out and I wrote some comments on the bottom of the sheet of paper. And I went down to talk to her about it in the Capitol Press Corps. She wasn't there. So I slid it under her door. <laughs> and I then I uh, like an hour later, she posted on Facebook that someone had left her a note in creepy handwriting and she was worried about it. And I was like, Oh God, I didn't 
put my name on it. Like it just was an oversight. Yeah. Like I didn't think about it. I was like, well, Mary will know this is for me. Right. And so she posts like that the scary note was <laughs> had been slid under the door of her office. So I called her right away. And I'm like, Oh, Mary, that, that was me. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I came down to talk to you about that. You weren't there. I left you this note and uh, like, here's what I disagreed with about your piece. Right. And like, she got it right. I mean, we got over that immediately. Um, but yeah, there were, you know, plenty of times when we had disagreements and fights, you know, and keep in mind as Republicans in, you know, a Democrat leaning state, Governor Pawlenty and I always felt like we were swimming upstream. Like from our perspective, we were leaning against what is mainstream thought in Minnesota, you know, broadly and yep. certainly among reporters. And so our attitude was, you know, that we had to fight, like we had to push for our perspective. Um, but I think we still managed to do it in a way most of the time uh, that, you know, that what didn't come across as, uh, you know, as a fight. Well, I and that's where the relationship side comes in, right? Like you, that LaHammer story is a relationship. And, and that's really what I think has kind of gotten lost, whether it's the hyperpartisanship, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, various things. The relationship has gotten lost. And and I don't want to tell too many like war stories because listeners might get bored. But <laughs> but, you know, I, I with the last four governors or five governors, for whatever reason, there was an intersection in my life that I had other ways in which I ran into them. You know that at the time, Governor Pelletti and I went to the same church and we didn't deal with each other during the week. And there were a couple issues, nursing homes and a bus strike where I was running ads that weren't really flattering for your boss. Mm -hmm. But granted, it was church on Sunday. But but like he would say to me, like, you know, that's pretty harsh. But, you know, and by the way, that's how some of those issues got solved, too, because mm -hmm. there was a relationship and you were able to say, like, here's my side, here's your side, kind of like a normal relationship, a marriage, a friendship. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if, um, and not to pick on the kids, because you and I are getting older, but if they just haven't had the experience and the exposure to how to develop relationships because of social media, because of hyperpartisanship, have you heard any of that? Well, yes, I think, you know, one of the things that I did and I was, you know, you mentioned I had other jobs before I worked for the governor, right? I was the communications director for the Senate Republicans. Yes. And so even in that role, I got to know a lot of the Capitol Press Corps and I spent time in the press corps. And I would just go down and talk to them, not when I had a story to pitch, not when I was, you know, pushing back on something, but just to share and be part of the conversation and I continued to do that when I was the governor's spokesperson. And I think part of it is, is that, you know, the governors maybe of the past um, had a sense with some of their senior staff, they trusted them to be able to go down there and know what they could talk about, what they couldn't, what was on the record, what was off the record, and how to build those relationships. Yep. And I think now it's much more siloed and cautious and yeah, on a social media platform as opposed to just going and sitting and BSing in their offices and kind of, you know, having that give and take and knowing where you can go with things. 
And it's hard. I mean, I get it. Like that's it's, you know, it's a different world. Things have changed. I understand the cautiousness. Um, but ultimately, you know, it doesn't serve you well if you don't, if you can't have the relationship to navigate around some of these tougher things. And uh, as we close here, I think it's that relationship that then allows people, if you build the relationship, then if there is a moment where it's awkward or it's uncomfortable or there, there's a benefit of the doubt, just like any other relationship. Yep. And if you don't have the relationship, then there isn't any benefit of the doubt on what a, you know, what a public official meant, et cetera. Um, lastly, do you think public officials, and it depends on the person I know, but do you think they have as, I don't know, the regard or the understanding of the media's job as much as they did maybe 15, 20, 25 years ago? No, I think it's difficult because, you know, on both sides, for both Democrats and Republicans, you you get rewarded for playing to your base. Yep. And lots of times your base wants you to be aggressive with the media on either side. And so that's, you know, we're rewarding that kind of behavior and we're rewarding that kind of distanced relationship where it is, you know, it is more of a, uh, a, there's more of a structure to it than just the sit down. You know, Tom Mason was my boss for a bit in the governor's office and he had worked for, you know, for Rudy Boschwitz and, you know, kind of that old next generation back. And he used to do a thing where he'd call in the reporters and it would be a pencils only meeting with the prince, with the senator or governor, yeah. right? And so this meant no cameras, you know, but TV people could show up, but just take notes. And it was just pencils only, right? And yeah. like, that's to me the old school way of like thinking about like a governor just saying like, just bring them all in here and we'll talk. And it's on background. They can take notes, but it's pencils only. And I, I'm pretty certain like that kind of thing, nobody's doing that. Any, that's not just in Minnesota, but anywhere is our elected officials just welcoming people in to have those kind of conversations. And I do think they're missing out on it. And they're, they're yeah, to your question, I don't think they have a full regard or understanding. And the media these days are so overburdened. The newsrooms yeah. are smaller. They're being asked to do more. Everybody is a multimedia journalist. You know, it's all video, audio, podcasts, print. You got to do everything. And that's a lot. And so I, I do think that, um, you know, it's it's tilted away from that relational kind of, uh, you know, politician media relationship. Um, and it's it's too bad. It is. Brian, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. You bet. Anytime. Thanks, boys. Next up, Star Tribune reporter Rochelle Olson. She's been around the Capitol a long time. What's her take on the way these relationships have changed? I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Joining me now for the final interview here on Sunday Take is Star Tribune reporter Rochelle Olson. She's a veteran uh, of the Capitol and covering politics in Minnesota. And uh, I'm glad she could join me. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Good to be here. So um, you are back at the Capitol. You've covered the Capitol over time and public issues over time. They crunched some budget bills this week. There's some big issues headed to conference committee. How do you see this plane landing in the final weeks? Is it going to be all smooth or is there going to be some turbulence? (laughs) Well, yes to both. 
I mean, isn't there always turbulence? Uh, I think I quoted Melissa Hortman in our, our, our newsletter this morning saying, you know, they, they always fight hard at the end because everything's at stake and, and it is not for nothing. Do they call it sausage making? Um, so I, there's no real expectation that everything is going to be smooth. And some would say it shouldn't be that the debate and the disagreement is part of the process and ultimately leads to better policy. So that said, I, I, I think they'll finish on time, which would well, be good. Yeah. I, my sense is they'll finish on time too, because they have no excuse not to, but they've just had such kind of unified um, kind of chorus support of one party majority uh, in all three branches that um the turbulence at the end, you know, may surprise some people if that makes, and that's, that's what I'm wondering how big, if, if, if the surprises will be that big. Well, we don't know yet, Blois. Uh We'll find out. I mean, they have left a lot of tricky stuff um, that, you know, will, will it, will it become tricky? Like, I mean, we still, we're going to have, we still have marijuana out there. We still have sports gambling. We have the stadium fund, um, all, the, all the tax stuff, um, the gun stuff. We have so much left that I, I just can't imagine that uh, with a one vote margin in the Senate, it's all going to be smooth. I just don't see it. So there's going to be some there's going to be some tough votes and some disappointed people, I have to believe. Culture-wise, one of the things that gets talked about is kind of the openness of conference committee. There's been a sense that these conference and big bills will be kind of pre-conferenced amongst the chairs. Um, Is that just a change in culture that no matter how loud some members scream is just not going to change so that there's not transparency or there's not visibility of how deals are being cut? Well, I mean, that's like, I always feel like that's a bit of a, well, I hate this term, but I'll say it anyway, red herring. Um, Because, I mean, that's how stuff gets done. Um, People have been complaining about backroom deals um, for all of eternity. And and I'm not sure, you they want to have private conversations. There's a push and pull that they want to have. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily wrong as eventually they come out and we'll vote we'll see the bills they vote on and we'll write about them and and they're gonna ha- they're gonna have to be accountable for what they pass and what they vote against um it's just a common complaint but it's i don't know i mean dude i don't i don't want to sit through an eight-hour conference committee meeting to watch <laughs> myself but um <clears throat> it's always a complaint i guess and i'm not sure i don't see that ever changing because Stuff gets cut behind closed doors. I mean, that's where deals are made. No, I think that's, I mean, I think that's fair. And I don't want to sit through eight hour conference committee meetings either. And I know not necessarily the lobbyists do and the legislators don't necessarily want to do that either. I think it's just, you know, when, when you have this many new members, uh, I'm just curious to how they respond when they, they see the bill that was cut behind closed doors and how, they they seem more vocal than most freshmen, you know, and I just wonder how uh, this group of freshmen or first termers is going to 
you know, respond when their pet projects or their pet issues get cut out? Are they going to be louder? Are they going to push back against leadership uh, more so than other classes? And I think that's part of the culture of the capital this, these days is that first termers seem louder and more activists. And granted, we have 35% of the legislature being new. So that's one of the things I'm trying to just get a gauge on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, yes, there's a lot of them. And yes, they are. They are pretty active. And they definitely they came prepared um, to fight for to fight for a lot of issues. Um, But that's part of the role of the leadership in the House and Senate is making sure these people are satisfied. And I mean, the Senate Majority Leader Dietzik, House Speaker Melissa Hortman, I mean, they want to maintain their majorities. And part of maintaining a majority is is satisfying their members who have spoken about certain issues on the campaign trail. So it doesn't really benefit them to to freeze out these members. And I think you've seen some of that in They've been very good, I think, in having a lot of the new members sponsoring bills and being very prominent on those bills. And it looks like they know what they're doing. So I, I don't know why. I mean, these are two seemingly skilled leaders of these these DFL caucuses, and that has to factor into everything they do. Yeah, Make- I think I, I agree. I think they have had more new members sponsoring bills and being out front and spokespeople on bills than previously. And, and you're right. And they've learned, and there's some seasoning that, that happened quickly with some of those new members and the new members, as you said, they were ready. These there, there's a lot of new members that, you know, came in with some level of policy experience and that's different than, you know, somebody who's uh, from a lay profession uh, who becomes a legislator and doesn't even understand the process. Right, right. A lot of, I mean, a lot of them do. A lot of them come, they're like, they're acting like veterans. You know, it's not, they're not sitting in the back and being quiet. They, they're very capable of handling themselves at aggressive uh, Capitol press conferences, for example. Exactly. My guest is Rochelle Olson. And with that cue, we're going to turn to Capitol media relations, elected officials, uh, came out this week that back in February, uh, and it evolved uh, with Peter Callahan of MinPost and the House DFL press office. Um, a pretty aggressive move by House DFL press towards a member of the media in Peter Callahan. Um, what's your initial reaction on this? And then I want to talk about kind of the, the evolution of the relations between Capitol Press Corps media, public officials and staff. Well, first of all, let me preface it by saying I wasn't at that particular press conference, so I don't have a firsthand account. Um, I do know that Peter can be feisty, but we all can, right? Um, the thing that got concerning is is when they then take him off the mailing list for for house press conferences and meetings, um, and that's that's that obviously smacks of retaliation, which for it's. He didn't do any, he didn't do anything wildly offensive or inappropriate. He just wanted to ask more questions and to get, to have, to be punished for that. Uh, that doesn't quite sit, that doesn't sit well with anyone, frankly. I mean, it's, we've been talking about it here for weeks and the letter finally went out and, um, yeah, it's, it sort of smacks of retaliation and, 
and intimidation. And that's not the way things work around here. I mean, it's a, we talked about sausage making. It's a, it's a, it's a rough deal. And we should, we should be asking hard questions and we should be pressing to ask more questions. So to get that sort of smackdown from the house DFL that he feels he got so early in the session was um, definitely troubling for a lot of us. No, I, I wrote about this on Friday, but it's been brewing for years. It's just kind of the dynamic has shifted as things have gotten more partisan, um, as personalities have emerged. I wanted, I I thought of a story that you broke a long time ago, but I think it's still relevant. And that was during the Carlson administration related to cell phone records. You, you know, you were at the Associated Press then and, 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 you know, my recollection is that the Carlson administration was not necessarily a fan of the story that was coming, but but was retaliation ever, you know, something you felt or anticipated in, in a in a case like that, if you want to remind listeners of that story? Well, <laughs> it was it was a little more than cell phones. I think the administration didn't like um they didn't like the tone of one of my stories about the governor where I think they thought that I had referred to him uh, as being maybe, I don't know, grumpy or irascible yeah. a, few, <laughs> yeah. few, a few too many times in the story. And maybe it was that combined with the cell phones that um, they, they got really crabby about it. And they called, They ha- we had a meeting with them, myself and my, my bosses at the time from the Associated Press. We had a meeting with the governor, a couple of his staff members. And it was a little tense, but... Um, but I mean, they never, um, there was never any, there was, I wasn't frozen out. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I I wasn't, and I always, I made a point shortly after that of making sure I asked a question at the next news conference, um, the governor's next news conference to be, to make sure (laughs) that he knew that I was there and, and, um, and, and and I also kind of knew that if if he ha- if he had and somehow snubbed me, um, I would I didn't talk to him beforehand, but I assumed that other colleagues in the press corps would have backed me up and or asked the question if he refused to answer me. But he didn't refuse to answer me. He answered me, and um, and you know it's it's funny to talk about it because I've <laughs> actually I've had a good relationship with Governor Carlson. Ever since then, basically. Um, so it, it kind of blew over pretty quickly. But it, it's all part of the it's all part of the deal, I think. I mean, people and he he's he's fine. He can get upset with what I write and he can complain about it. That's part of the deal. Um well, and it, it is part of the deal, and that's what I wanted to kind of dig in and in how things have evolved. You and I have known each other a long time we've been crusty with each other when I'm in the role of a flack, not an analyst. We've maybe even, you know, gone back and forth, but what I, what I find interesting here, and I have been kicked off a media list by the former governor for a short period of time. But when that governor found out, he immediately told his staff, put him back on the media list. We're not going to play that game. Is this common? Have you heard about it before? Or how do these conflicts usually get resolved in your mind where, there's a tense exchange. There's a story that the public officials don't like, or 
the reporter feels like they're not getting their questions answered. How does it usually resolve itself? Because it's it's not your first rodeo. You've seen this plenty of times. Well, like I said before, with with uh, former Governor Carlson, it kind of blew over relatively quickly. Um, I mean, we weren't pals or anything back then, but um, and we're not now either, to be to be clear. But but it's it's a completely professional relationship, and usually they 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 do kind of they pass. Um, and you settle into whatever, you know, you're not, you're not here to make friends. You're not here to be friends with these people. And tension isn't the worst thing, but, um, but cutting people off, that doesn't work. And that, that my, in my experience, that really doesn't work for a public official, but you know, there's a lot of people, um, we're having that issue with (laughs) certain people, right now and i'm not going to name them but um there's there's some politicians who just don't don't really view it as their job to talk to the media but that's sort of a different that's sort of a different topic but there's always tension and there's always some people are easier to talk to and some people are impossible to talk to most are most are pretty easy a lot of most politicians are good talkers right but yeah um but this does happen and and you just sort of you keep you show up to work and you keep asking questions. And I think if if this were to happen at some if if Peter were to ask a question and they didn't answer, I think people would people would follow up and ask the question if they tried to remove Peter from anything. I don't think that would go over, but that's not what's happened so far. Um, it just uh, it was uh, almost more subtle than that, which was maybe a little more disturbing in some ways because he didn't quite know what was happening or how they were, what they were doing behind the scenes. And then you, when you talk about, you know, without naming them, people who don't think they need to address the press or answer questions as public officials, is that new? Is that different or, um, or does it just stand out more in a hyper-partisan world? Um, Well, I think it's always been part of the, it's always, as long as there are human beings, there are some human beings who are better at talking and being open than others. But, but yeah, and I mean, I, I think I can say this because I think it reflects in our coverage, but I mean, in Washington right now, um, there are certain, certain members of the delegation that, that won't talk to our reporter, um, that only will provide Republicans um, we'll only provide written statements and, and he'll try to track them down and they really they don't have time for them, whether that's, you know, a calculated decision that they're not going to talk to the local media or that it's not worth their time because they have a higher profile um, than just Minnesota. That's that's new that we absolutely can't the, the, can't get a hold of anyone, somewhat someone in particular, but sometimes <laughs> We also have the opposite problem. We have politicians who want to be in a lot of stories and call us and want to make sure they have the lead quote in the story. Yes, yes. And they want to do it on their terms, right? They they want to give us a quote and they want it on their terms and they want the quote featured in the story. Um, but then when it comes time, and this would be some people you'd see quoted often in stories, but then when it comes time and we want to have an interview or sit down with them, well, they don't really have time. So it's always, you know, I can say on one hand that we've got Republicans who are hard to talk to, but we also have Democrats who they, they all want to control the message. 
It's just a matter of how they do it. Um, let's talk about just lastly here, the role of the staffer or the flack. And I mean, that as a term of endearment, the PR person who facilitates this and kind of runs interference or defends or, or, or promotes the, the angle. Um, when you talk about, you know, those kinds of relationships, that kind of dynamic, has that changed at all in your experience over the years? Are those folks feeling kind of more empowered or more gatekeeper-ish or is it pretty much the same? No, I definitely feel like um, it seems like there are more of them and they are more gatekeeper-ish. Um, and it, it's an easy way, in my opinion, I think it's often an easy way for politicians to hide um, by having their having their PR person deal with the reporter or, you know, maintain access, very controlled access. Again, they want to control the situation and what they say and where they are. And, and it's, it's a difficult, it's a, that is a difficult dance because you don't, some PR people can be very helpful, both in terms of information and getting you access to politicians but uh, others uh, don't necessarily view that as a role, that their role is more of keeping you away. So, but it definitely, I will say, it definitely feels like there are more of them. And um, in some, it, it, it's the spectrum though, again, a, a lot of them, a lot of them can make life difficult, but they can also, they can also help a lot. And I, I again, I think with everything though, I think it's kind of, whether it's politicians or their their PR people, I feel like all of it is kind of a balance. I mean, you don't want to go too much in any direction. Right. You don't want to just be talking to the person who wants to talk. No, I think to the you balance is always there because um, you have to balance the relationship like anything. And um, there's some days that are good and some days are bad, but everybody has a job to do from the flack to the reporter to the public officials. So, it's just it's been growing in my mind and then this episode just kind of highlighted some of the things I've felt probably over the last I don't know six to eight years just as they've as they've become there uh any big stories we should be looking for in the next week that you're working on well um nothing I'm getting ready to talk about at this moment all right Sounds good. Rochelle, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Thank you. When we come back, this week's take, you can imagine what the topic is. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. This week's take will be about the topic of the First Amendment or the Minnesota Constitutional Guarantee of Free Speech. But first, the Corn Growers Sustainable Minute. Look, it's about clean fuel. And as we get to summer, the fuels are cleaner. And that is a good thing for our environment. Because as we learned this last week, the fresh air when it's here is something great for us to breathe and be out in. And you can't get enough of it after the winter we just had. And it's Minnesota corn growers who are driving the innovation, investing in the research, and providing the distribution of clean fuels like E85 across Minnesota. It's Minnesota corn growers who are growing the corn for clean fuels that make our air cleaner, that are more sustainable. 
Because absolutely, if we can't sustain the progress we're making on the environment, then it's not repeatable. And the one thing that is repeatable is growing corn for fuel and food. And that's what Minnesota corn growers do. So let's continue to focus on the impact that ag, one third of Minnesota's economy, has on our cities and our communities, making all of Minnesota, from the cities to greater Minnesota, more sustainable. I'm Blaise Olson. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. Look, the First Amendment and even the Minnesota Constitution afford us and guarantee us free speech and liberty to say what we want, write what we want, and say what we want. But the point is, the dynamics in a hyperpartisan world with social media and a different persona of the relationship between the press and public officials has shifted. I've been following closely and analyzing Minnesota politics and living at the intersection of politics, media, and business for 25 years here in Minnesota. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned that access to public officials is less than it once was. I'm concerned that the media, a shrinking business, no longer has the time, the effort, or the energy to ask tough questions. And when they do have a chance to ask tough questions, they are cut off or they are limited in their time. Let's remember these public officials, they have election certificates and that affords them the ability to govern. It should also require them and give them a deeper responsibility to be responsive to the media, the fourth estate, and the public. The most illustrative issue with this week's episode and the ones I highlighted in Friday's newsletter are that relationships, professional relationships where each party has a job, and that it's not personal and it's not polarized and it's not partisan, are being lost. It's not just between Democrats and Republicans. It's becoming lost between the media and the electeds. We have to work to repair those. And the way to to do that is to know each other, communicate with each other, but also when media ask tough questions, answer them and let them ask more. Mayor Jacob Fry said, sunshine disinfects. Well, If our partisan politics and the polarized state we're in is infected, more sunshine provided by the media and our public officials might give us a cleaner system that more people trust. That's the take this week. I'm Blois Solson. Follow us at fluence-newsletters.com. I'll be with Vanita at 620 all week. That's the take. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.